0: <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for rescheduling and thanks for making this work.
1: Sure, I'm glad whichever one of you was in a motorcycle accident is okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's,
2: that's so we it. We rescheduled for you, weren't
0: we? Then, yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, I, uh, we're all good now, though. It's healing nicely. <laughs> it was just the skin. I'm good. Just <laughs> the skin, so that's all right.
1: Just a flesh wound. <laughs> <huh>? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Welcome back to What You'll Learn.
2: My name is Adam Ashton. Aloha, ladies and gentlemen. My uh, Amy Moore. What's your name? Adam, <laughs> apparently. Uh, Amy Warren, super cool chick. We just had an awesome interview, mate. How much we learned from her?
0: Yeah, a really cool chick. So she wrote a blog post called The 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, went viral, wrote a book by the same title. She had a TED Talk, which is like 2.2 million views. Yep. And yeah, it's awesome.
2: Yeah, check out her stuff, listen to the interview, and hopefully uh, you guys enjoy it.
0: Yeah, if, uh, and just before our previous episode was our 20-minute thoughts on the book. So, if you want to get a bit of background on the 13 things, go for it. Otherwise, uh, Amy gives us a really good, really good summary. Let's do it. Uh, awesome. Well, let, let, let's get stuck in. So, we're with uh, Amy Moran today, author of 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. So, Amy, thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: So, we did a. Uh, of, what 20-minute,
2: 30-minute podcast during the week on the book, which we really love. So 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. Uh, first of all, can you, can you start explaining what is mental strength?
1: Yeah, mental strength is really a combination of three things. And the first one is figuring out how do you regulate your thoughts so that you don't think either overly positive, but you also don't want to be overly negative. You just want to make it so that you can think realistically. And the second part of it is, regulating your emotions so that you can be in control of your emotions and your emotions don't control you and the third part is about behaving productively despite whatever circumstances you find yourself in and sometimes people will say well I'm really good at at one of the three things and other times people say okay I think I'm, I'm doing equally well in all three but there's always room for improvement I always say that we possess mental strength to a certain degree anyway, but you can always do more exercises and give up the bad habits that are holding you back and build more mental strength in your life. It's sort of like somebody said, well, I have a lot of physical strength, so I never need to work out again. Your muscles would get weak over time mm. and mental strength is the same. It's something you can keep building over time and you can continuously grow and become better.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So do you, you, you mentioned that everyone's, everyone's got mental strength, is that right? And it's just to, to what extent and how much you, you work on it?
1: Exactly. And I think a lot of people just don't know how to work on it. And a lot of people just aren't sure well, what else can I do to become mentally stronger.
0: Yeah, nice. So uh,
2: you talked about mental strength helping us with our bad habits. So what what do our bad habits cost us? So the, the value of having this mental strength.
1: You know, when it, I'm a therapist by trade. And over the years, I had seen that um, sometimes when people are doing well, it wasn't always about the the new habits that they developed sometimes it was about the the bad habits that they had and it was about giving up their bad habits so that they could really move forward and you know as a, I'm a social worker and by trade we learn to build on people's strengths and I think there's a lot to be said for building on strengths but at the same time I think we do people a disservice if we don't acknowledge our weaknesses and say how do I how do I work on these things because sometimes you're only as good as your worst habit and if you can work on the worst habits that you have you can skyrocket yourself forward
0: yeah amazing and so you you mentioned uh well well what do you what do you do with yourself actually at at the moment what do you do
1: great question so at the moment um i was when before i wrote the book i was a therapist and writing was sort of my side hustle something i did outside Mm -hmm. of the office um but my main career was as a therapist and a college psychology professor since the book has taken off i spend a lot of time now marketing my book i actually just wrote my second book that comes out later this year and i do a lot more writing and speaking and uh, a lot of i still teach mental strength i have an online course but i just do it i guess instead of a one-on-one in an office these days i'm doing it on a more of a global scale i get to teach people about mental strength in countries all over the world
0: yeah awesome and you, you said you're on a boat at the moment
1: I am, yes. It's my latest adventure is to oh, nice. um, live on a boat, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. Well, what we're talking about What's it, uh, what's the next book?
1: It's called 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. The readers of my first book, I just kept getting the same question over and over again with people who were asking me, how do we teach this to kids? It would be great if we could start teaching people mm. at a younger age how to be mentally strong. So I approached my publisher and said, what do you think about a parenting book? Because we had not thought about I could write a book for kids, but I think it's really important to start with the parents because parents are going to coach their kids and teach them these skills and be there right in the moment to reinforce it. So I thought let's start with the parents and, and teach them how to teach kids about mental strength, and then maybe down the road we'll do something for kids. But I wanted the parents to have the information first.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. nice. So uh, in, in the book you mentioned uh, you had a pretty tough, tough time before leading up to the book what what is the role of tough times Does that does that help you uh realize your mental strength
1: i think in a lot of cases it does in my personal experience i when i was 23 my mother had passed away and then on the three-year anniversary of her death my 26 year old husband died suddenly from a heart attack and really those losses i've definitely learned a lot about myself here i am a therapist and i'm telling other people about the skills and tools that they can use in their life. But then when I was going through these things myself, it was really an opportunity to, to use them and to figure out, well, what's what really works when you're going through these tough times? And I, I saw a lot of people in my therapy office who had gone through tough times and just felt like they never really got through it, like they it somehow held them back in life. And And then I saw other people who had gone through incredible adversity and yet, it had made them stronger and i really wanted to know how do you how do you go through tough times and come out okay on the other side and so my personal journey with learning with learning about mental strength really um was eye opening to me to figure out okay it's not just about talking about these things but doing them and sometimes um figuring out well what works for me and how do you do it how do you deal with such raw emotional pain and whatever difficulties somebody's going to face in life Often as a society, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about mental mm-hmm. strength. We don't talk about feelings yeah. and and to figure out how do you really deal with those things so that you can be okay in life no matter what sort of challenges life throws your way.
2: Yeah, that's right. So yeah, you, you wrote the article after your husband-in-law was, uh, was ill. <laughs> you were saying, but did you expect it to have such a huge response? Because that article went all over the world and got shared 18,000 times and yeah
1: yeah so uh, a few years after my husband had passed away I was fortunate enough to find love again I got remarried and shortly after that you know I found a new job I've got a new house and I thought this is my fresh start in life and shortly after my uh, husband's father was diagnosed with terminal cancer and Mm -hmm. I had lost my mother and my first husband in really unexpected and sudden circumstances and in this case it was like I knew what was coming I knew Mm -hmm. that I was going to lose him and I just didn't want to go through it all again. And so that was when I wrote the original article, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And it was a letter to myself of all the things I shouldn't do if I wanted to make it through yet another uh, loss um, as strong as possible. And I sort of only published it online, sort of on a whim. I thought, well, maybe it'll help somebody else. And crashed the website it had gone on within a matter of the same day and I didn't know it was because of my article I thought oh that's interesting yeah well, wow. <laughs> and then Forbes picked it up and 10 million more people read it there and Business Insider I think their version has almost 30 million views and it just yeah. kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and all these things were happening but I didn't tell the story of why I wrote it so it was really interesting when it went viral nobody knew that it was a letter to myself yeah was getting news media from all over the world calling me and asking me about mental strength and yet at the same time I was going through this very personal pain that I wasn't ready to make public yet. So I was glad that I had the opportunity to write the book um, down the road to be able to share the the reason behind why I wrote that article.
0: Yeah nice. And with the, the with the article, how did you uh, how did you come up with the thirteen things?
1: Um, You know, a lot of people ask me, was there magic in the number 13? Did you mean to have 13? And no, I didn't. It was just a matter of, I think, things that I knew I just never had written down on paper. And it was a matter of the combination of the things I'd learned through my journey so far and things I'd seen in my therapy office and just a matter of things that I knew weren't healthy yet were really tempting to do when you're going through tough times. We all tend to take these unhealthy shortcuts. And it makes you feel better for a minute, but then actually makes bigger problems in the long term and so I really wanted to identify those things and I knew that as I was about to go through another tough circumstance that if I did those things ultimately they would hold me back and so I just just wrote them out without trying to come up with 13 or a magic number or anything like that
2: yeah it certainly helps a, a lot of people around the world we, we really appreciate the book so we'll get stuck into some of the uh, uh some of the, our favorite things that we, we got out of the book so number 4 the fourth habit they don't focus on things they can't control. We thought that was a yeah, a real a real good one. Can you can you explain a little bit about that?
1: Sure. We only have so much mental energy and we only have so much time and sometimes we waste our resources on things that we can't do anything about. You can't actually control other people or you can't control how other people feel, but we tend to put a lot of energy in those kinds of things and it's really a waste of time and if you just channel your energy into the things that matter most in life it you can make a huge difference but it's scary sometimes to say you know i can't control that and to sort of give that up to be able to admit you know i can't do anything about yeah. that
0: yeah. um mm-hmm.
1: for a lot of people that's really hard to do
0: yeah and the one you specifically uh mentioned was uh thinking about what other people do and that you've got really no control about over what other people do
1: and I think for a lot of people, that's really tough. Um, parents, I'll work with a lot of parents who yeah. really want to control their 15-year-old. Yeah. Well, you can't make your child make great choices when you're not in the room. But, you know, you have to be able to figure out, how do I give my child the skills that he needs to make the decisions? Or, or a lot of people who really want to make sure that other people feel happy or that they are pleasing other people, which is another one on the list, but it's related to this one because I think so many people just say, okay, I really want to make other people feel something or make them do something. And and you figure out I can only do my best I can't do anything other than that I'm going to focus on doing my best rather than worrying about if it's good enough for everybody else
0: yeah yeah perfect yeah it's a good it's like uh, I assume you've probably read uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People the circle of influence versus the the circle of concern
2: very similar so uh, another another one which is very common I think is they don't resent other people's success so that's and you mentioned in your TED talk as well that that's that's really big and that that is something that keeps a lot of us down is is that resentment of other people.
1: And I think in today's world with social media it just makes it all the more difficult to sort of keep your eyes on your own life and your own journey and not be comparing yourself to other people because you scroll through Facebook or Instagram and see your friends with a, yeah. a new car or on a wonderful vacation it can make it feel like oh everybody else has a better life than i do. It's really that comparison trap that tends to cause us to get resentful, and we start to think, "Well, I should have that, or I deserve that," and we want to keep score. I'm a good person, so I deserve to have more things in life come my way, but it doesn't always work like that.
0: Yeah, I think with the, the Facebook as well, it always seems to be your 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 worst moments when you're scrolling through Facebook, either. You're Home alone on the couch watching TV, and then you see everyone's on their uh, holiday in the in the Bahamas, or as you say, the new car. It's all—they're always, always at their best when they're posting, and you're always at your worst when you when you're looking at it.
1: And I, th- I think that's a great way to put it because I think it's so true that you think, okay, I'm not doing anything on Friday night, and you look at everybody else who's out <laughs> talking about how wonderful their lives are, and you think, oh, my life isn't nearly as good.
0: Yeah, what I really uh, took from from this chapter in particular that that I've actually been conscious of, of thinking about is is creating your own definition of, of success, and that don't get don't get jealous of of what other people have if that's not what's what you want. So how, uh, can you talk a little bit about creating your own definition of success?
1: I think it's important for all of us to say, well, what, what would be my definition of a life well lived? You know, when I'm 85 and I look back over my life, what would I have wanted to have accomplished? And to know what your values are and to know what's important to you and to know that if you if your definition of success is to have a wonderful family and spend lots of time with your family, then to not be... Resentful when your friend who works a hundred hours a week can afford a bigger house than you can, mm. but to know, okay, I'm working on my definition of success, and he may have a completely defini- different definition of success, and that's okay. And this isn't a competition yeah. that I don't have to score about who's doing the best or who has the most.
0: Yeah, love it. It's tough. It's tough to do. I reckon <laughs>
1: it is tough. Yes,
2: <laughs> I thought I thought out of the thirteen, that was the toughest sometimes to uh yeah to get a handle on. Like maybe from a personal point of view, anyway. <laughs> Uh, number, number six, uh, was interesting. So they don't fear taking calculated risks. So you, you start off with a, on the chapter, you got a quote, don't be too squeamish about your actions. All life is an experiment and the more experiments you make, the better.
1: And I, I think that so many of us, we lose sight of what's actually risky in life. We live in a sort of a really weird time, right? That so many people are afraid of public speaking yet you'd get in a car and drive somewhere without thinking twice well the chances of death are much higher when you're in the car versus when you're giving a speech but yet (laughs) because things feel scary we think oh it must be really risky but it's really important to take a step back and know that your level of fear and level of risk really aren't related and you know there's tons of research about how we make decisions and how our emotions affect our decisions and when we're excited about something, we tend to think, oh, there's very little risk or that won't happen to me. But when you're really nervous about something, we exaggerate how risky it is. And we tend to, because we're not in touch with our emotions very well, most of us anyway, it's harder to figure out well, how do my emotions affect my decisions and how do I be more logical about it. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people just are never taught how do you evaluate risk Make good decisions, and so if you can figure out how do you calculate risk and how do I practice calculating risks in life, you get better at it. But it's really a learning process.
2: Yeah. So how how do you uh, take these or use more logic to make better decisions? So what's your technique in in doing this?
1: Oh, a lot of times, it's about writing it down, that we can be more rational. If you just write down what are the pros and cons of taking this risk, but then to also write down what are the pros and cons of not taking this risk. Mm. And when you really look at that, sometimes it can help people who are, who are sort of stuck when they're indecisive and they don't know, should I do this or should I not do this? And it when you can raise your logic, it can decrease that emotional reactivity. And we make our best decisions when our emotions and our logic are in balance. And so when you can write those things down and look at it and then read over your list, and if you come to the conclusion, this is a this is a good risk, I should take it, then write down 10 reasons why this is a good risk. And then when you your anxiety spikes and you're trying to talk yourself out of it, go back to reading your list again, and it can give you the courage to take, keep taking those steps even when it feels scary to know, okay, but this is still a good decision even though it feels scary. Yeah, that's uh, good.
0: Yeah. I, like, I like that because if, if you write down the the risks and all the bad things that could happen if you do do it, uh, that, that's probably a turn-off that you need to consider uh, what happens if you don't do it as well. I, I really like that, uh, that technique for sure. Uh,
2: another one we like, number 12, which is, just- Pretty topical at the moment. They don't feel the world owes them anything. So, I interpret that as it gets into a bit into our entitlement culture. We kind of have like we're you know we're just owed something throughout our lives, and and things are just going to come for us without doing anything about it.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I think that a lot of people have that mentality. Just because I was born and I went to college, I did (laughs) these things in life. I'm a good person. I learned a lot. Then then I deserve to get a lot of money or I deserve to get a lot of success. Or yeah. I'll have a lot of people that say that to me, too. They'll say, well, you went through a lot of hard times, so you, you deserve to have this book that you wrote and, and to have a successful life. But that's not true. Just because you go through bad times doesn't mean that you can equal it out with good things happening later on and that it doesn't. the world doesn't work like that. And when we try to keep score about what you're owed, it, it really keeps a lot of people mm. stuck think you know i i I deserve to have more money i deserve to have a raise i deserve to have good things and the world doesn't always work like that things aren't always fair and that can be hard for people to draw that conclusion but on the other hand when you accept that sometimes it's freeing to know okay i don't necessarily have to be paid for all my good deeds but i don't also have to be punished for all the mistakes i've ever made in life that i can have a fresh start keep moving forward and i'm not entitled to things just by simply by being who i am
0: yeah yeah Yeah. for sure yeah definitely that's uh yeah pretty topical at the moment millennials always seem to cop a cop a tough rap but maybe yeah maybe it is that entitlement culture and they need to work realize that no no one owes you anything
2: yeah uh
0: that's right so uh and
2: uh, chapter number two they don't give away their power so this goes into how uh we let other people control the way we think about ourselves
1: This is the one – this is the chapter I probably hear the most feedback about because people will say, I was was giving away my power that I allowed my mother-in-law to make me feel bad about myself or my boss's criticism was really impacting my self-worth or I was grumpy every day because my coworkers were in a bad mood. But to really take back your power by saying, okay, I'm in control of how I think, how I feel, and how I behave. No matter what circumstances I'm in or who is around me, I can still say I'm going to be in charge and that other people don't have the power to do those things to me. They can't drag me down or hold me back or force me to feel bad about myself unless I let them.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that uh, it's all about being proactive versus being reactive as well.
1: I mean it's really yes, to be able to say, Okay, I'm gonna walk into this situation and, and this is who I am and this is what I'm about and when you have sort of this solid foundation of knowing those things yeah. then you can sort of fend off. You can say I'm gonna sort of have this make healthy boundaries for myself so that other people can't get inside my head or that they can't force me to feel something just because they're critical of me. Yeah.
2: So how do you not give away your power? Is it is it this self talk or is there other is it the writing techniques or how, how do you not give away your power? Because that'd, be that'd be a good skill to have.
1: Yes. Yeah, sometimes it's just about changing the way you think. And sometimes it's just about being aware that, okay, I'm always grumpy when I am around cert- these certain people or mm-hmm. I'm always, I always feel really embarrassed to talk in a meeting when I'm at this particular meeting because I'm self-conscious or whatever it is, but just increasing our self-awareness of how, how we think and feel changes depending on our circumstances or how we behave. And, also sometimes it's about setting physical boundaries so you know okay if i when i'm around my that particular friend or cousin i tend to to become more negative so maybe it's about purposely having a positive conversation with that person and if they continue to be negative and they're always complaining maybe you end the conversation to hmm. say what sort of healthy limits do i set for myself so that i don't feel like other people are intruding in my life in an unwelcome way i think sometimes we feel like victims like we I have to let that person complain to me for four hours. But no, you don't. You can say, I'm not going to do that anymore because it's not good for my for my mental strength. I need to to set limits on what I'm willing to do. And when people feel empowered to do those things, it really is a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, yeah nice. And the other thing you mentioned in this chapter was the power of, of forgiveness, of forgiving people that have hurt you. You said that forgiving them doesn't uh, necessarily mean you excuse or accept what they've done, but it definitely gives you the... Uh, that chance to let go. Is that right?
1: Yeah. A lot of people will hold on to this bitterness and anger and resentment for years and years and years. And ultimately it doesn't hurt the other person. It just hurts you. And you don't have to excuse somebody's behavior, or say it was okay that they hurt you, but you can say, I'm going to choose to focus on something more worthwhile with my time. So I'm going to let it go Mm. because I don't want to waste my mental energy um, on that person because Sometimes somebody that maybe did something hurtful to you five years ago, you can let it hurt you for 25 years if you keep thinking about it. And mm-hmm. to say, I'm gonna, not going to waste my time thinking in, about it and keep bringing up all these painful feelings all over again.
2: Yeah, yeah for sure. Nice. So uh, we'll change gears a little bit. Uh, so you obviously, from our perspective, you've got a very wise uh, wise head of yours. So uh, what, um, what book do you recommend most to people?
1: Uh, you know i'm a big fan of um the last lecture it's a short book but written by randy pausch and um he had been diagnosed with terminal cancer and he sort of wrote a a life lesson book that i just love and i think it's a great a great book just to help um remember what's important in life yeah
0: no i haven't read that one yet so that's one to add to the list for sure uh what is what is do you have any other favorite books
1: um, you know, I like a lot of books, I guess it depends <laughs> on what, what minute you ask me, which one I'm, I'm yeah. probably reading at the moment, but, um, I'm a big fan of, uh, Carol Dweck's mindset too. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great book. Yeah,
0: nice. We, we have are, read that one. Yeah, <laughs> we did that
2: one two weeks ago. It was fantastic.
0: Yeah, I really liked uh, that good. one. good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, probably top five for me. It was, it yeah. was really good I thought Definitely. Uh,
2: Kind of on topic, what, what's the most valuable thing you've ever learned? And that might be something from another book or from your 13 things. Yeah, what is the most valuable thing you've, you've learned in, in your life so far?
1: I would say you can do more than you think you can. I think our self-limiting beliefs are what hold us back. And I think we don't even know how much potential we actually have. And it's really about challenging those beliefs and getting out there and doing the stuff that you thought you couldn't do and to just do it anyway and that you can surprise yourself and amaze yourself with with what you can do when you just put yourself out there and do it. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, nice. That's awesome. All right.
2: Well, thanks, Amy, for your time. What, if, if people want to find out more, how can they, they find you? And you mentioned you've got an online course, Mental Strength uh, Mastering the Three Core Factors. How can people find more information if they want more met, not- more mental strength?
1: Sure. Um, my information is on my website, which is com. Yep. Nice. All
2: right. Well, thanks, Amy, and uh, enjoy your day on the boat.
0: Thanks, guys, for listening. We hope you enjoyed that interview. We got a lot out of it, and I'm sure you did too. Guys, if
2: there's one thing you can do for us, it would be hit subscribe. Alright, a review means to like give this good uh, good rate of an ice
0: and more people are listening to that shit yep even mention it to one friend and say nah, there's two blogs so right? and yeah
1: share yeah. it there share it there